0: Time for the July 29, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on Hidtrey from the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm, <clears throat> and I'm Mike Kaspar. <clears throat> And that's Mahler clearing his throat. God. As always, the satisfied owner of a Mike Lindell Chews toy. (laughs) Mahler, (laughs) the fake news dog. (laughs) There he is. That's the one that's made out of that
1: Egyptian cotton, isn't it? That uh, Chew toy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He he loves that. Yeah, it's Egyptian I have
0: to buy him one every week because he just shreds it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, me too. Today, you buy him one once a week? No, I... Or I, you chew I, on Yeah. I chew one. on them. Yeah, oh, yeah. the I, wondered, here, yeah. I thought there was more debris around here yeah, than well, usual. I, it's, they're very flavorful. Uh, today we'll be talking about the North American beaver, heatwave zoo, tire extinguishers, necrobiotics, a repurposed Ferrari, and so on. This is an uh, outstanding lineup. of It this. looks, it yeah. sounds like it. mm mm-hmm. But first of all, remember that uh, story in The New Scientist a few weeks ago about the Corvid Palace and they were going to shut it down? It was a renowned British Mm -hmm. center for research on intelligence in crows and their kin. Yes, And they were just going to shut it down. That's right. They needed a minimal amount of money for an institution like that. I think it was like half a million dollars. Yeah. Well, the New Scientist article prompted Jonathan Birch at the London School of Economics to write an open letter calling on the University of Cambridge to reconsider the closure of the lab and to give the lab long-term support. The international significance of the lab is hard to overstate, and its closure would be a terrible loss to the sciences of the mind and brain, said Birch. Harumph? Yeah, the letter. What do you mean harumph?
1: Isn't that what the British do? They harumph, don't they?
0: Well... Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. I suppose so. The letter quickly attracted signatures from 358 leading academics, among them Steven Pinker and Noam Chomsky. Hmm. As a result, the Corvid Palace was saved from closure by a campaign that raised 500,000 pounds from the public donations in a matter of weeks. Excellent. Yep, that's what I say too. I've been overwhelmed in the most positive way by the support from the University of Cambridge fellow academics and the general public from all walks of life, said Nicola Clayton, the Corvid Palace founder. Oh. Every penny I'm so grateful for. It's been an emotional roller coaster with a heartwarming positive ending. Yeah. I'll say. Great. The palace has been key to understanding the cognitive the cognition of corvids which includes crows, ravens, rooks, Uh, jackdaws, jays, magpies, and nutcrackers. The lab's research has shown how these birds have abilities once thought to be the domain of only humans and great apes. So like uh, understanding the minds of others and mental time travel, which means you reflect on the past and plan for the future. Hmm. So good. That's an upbeat story right off the bat.
1: exactly. And by the way, you're welcome. To the,
0: to the Institute,
1: had it not been for this platform of weekly- I hate
0: when people say that. It reminds me of Donald Trump for one thing. And it's so presumptive. It makes me want to gag. Like, you're welcome. This is what I want to hear from somebody. Can't you be more gracious? Can't you? I know we brought it up. We didn't do anything. From the Los Angeles Times. Millions of highly skilled environmental engineers stand ready to make our continent more resilient to climate change. Do you know that? Mm-mm. We have volunteers out there, Yeah. Waiting to help with climate change. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Oh, good. Yeah. They restore wetlands that absorb carbon, store water, filter po- pollution, and clean and cool waters for salmon and trout. Do you do that? No. No. They are recognized around the world for helping to reduce wildfire risk. Do you do that? No, I recycle yeah. <laughs> and they work for free. Huh? Huh? You don't do that. <laughs> Who are they, you say? Go ahead. Who say are it. they? Yeah. Who are these people? The North American beaver. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, Mor- <laughs> the North American beaver. <laughs> That's right, Walter. You missed your cue there, boy. As ecosystem engineers, they build dams and dig canals. Their manipulation of plants for food and building materials produces wide-ranging environmental gains. Last year alone, approximately, or yet despite, uh, we jumped in there a little bit too fast, yet despite beaver ecosystem benefits, we have long pushed them out of their homes. Yes, we have. Ah. Last year alone, approximately 25,000 beavers were killed by wildlife control officers in response to people just complaining about them because uh-huh chewing up this and that and the other. Instead, we could institute beaver-based stream restoration and entice beavers to remote areas such as millions of acres of national forest and other federal and state lands. So we try and get them out of where they're causing trouble and into places where they're helping us fight climate change.
1: (sighs) You know, in my life, I haven't seen all that many beavers Yeah, I've uh, I've seen a lot on,
0: you know, nature
1: shows. I rarely see them in the wild. Yeah. I
0: don't know. I mean, I used to live in... Remember Bucky Beaver? No. He was the mascot of Ipana toothpaste. Okay. Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing logos with beavers. I had an affinity with Bucky Beaver because I had buck teeth. Oh. So I used Ipana toothpaste myself. Ipana? Ipana,
1: yeah. I don't remember Ipana. Okay.
0: Ipana. Okay. It's not around anymore. But yeah,
1: yeah. but I again, I just one of those things. See all kinds of wildlife. Yeah. But I rarely. You mean see just
0: it. walking down the street, well, or just, do you mean?
1: Well, in the areas of the where I've lived, I've lived in the mountains. I've lived in in yeah. rural. I mean, um, in uh, not rural. What am I trying to say? Yeah, rural areas in of the and uh, haven't seen. Okay. Anyway, made my point.
0: You made your point. You haven't seen beavers. Not that many. Yeah. The main cost of beaver-based stream restoration involves helping them to get a foothold by starting restoration work ourselves and, where necessary, transporting beavers to the right natural site. This approach typically costs thousands of dollars per mile, not the millions per mile we spend on infrastructure solutions. Yeah, so we're saving money by employing beavers to take care of something. They want to do it anyway. Yeah. They have fun doing this stuff, or at least they... That's what they do anyway. Yeah. The job is enormous, but so is the capacity of beavers to help. Hmm. Modest funding for beaver restoration was added to California's budget this year. Just a little chunk. Good for them. But we're keeping, we're keeping up with this. Yeah. Groups that protect wildlife, fisheries, and wetlands should join forces across the West to make beavers integral to a coordinated climate change response.
1: Good story, Nathan. Yeah,
0: I think so, too. I like that one. From Los Angeles Times, by the way. Mm -hmm. Hmm. If this news makes you feel generous, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI. Eighty eight point nine FM. I haven't asked you a question yet. I usually ask you questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You want a question?
1: If you'd like to throw me a curveball, go ahead.
0: Did you ever like ride a bike seriously? Like spandex seriously? No, um,
1: not spandex serious. Yeah. I did actually I did get the shoes. You got shoes? Bike shoes? I did get bike shoes. I Yeah. But that was a specific bike that I bought. I had to have the shoes uh-huh. for it. I wouldn't... That was your Buster Brown shoes for your tricycle,
0: right? <laughs> yes, <it>? they were.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, they were. So I... And no. I, I'll to be honest with you. And they did, you know, hook in and all that kind of nonsense. Oh, the hooks. Yeah, the, you, you kind of slide them in and they kind of... Oh, well, yeah, yeah I, I'm yeah, familiar yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah. I know
0: when I saw those on a bike, I didn't want them because I thought maybe I'd be stuck there. Well, yeah, you yeah. Put your feet in. Yeah. And next thing you know you can't get them out
1: yeah i didn't have them for very long i didn't have the bike for very long because for that same reason it was just a little too serious a little Uh, too much yeah plus the upkeep and the my god they're expensive those kind of bikes are crazy expensive Uh to fix or keep up so no Hmm. it's like buying a like a midlife crisis thing you you know you buy a a foreign sports car that you can't really afford yeah but you look cool in it for a you know you think you do anyway so no that's what you did. I didn't you buy it for no. Cool I didn't buy it for that reason. I was just trying to. Th- it's that kind I of thing. I think you did. I may have. Uh, Go but, ahead, and admit it. Uh, all right, I did. All right. But uh, but anyway, I got rid of it pretty quickly. I realized that I'm not that guy. Yeah, you're not
0: a biker. I'm not a biker. I like to ride my bike, yeah. but I'm not a biker. From the Washington Post, over the past few weeks, the Tour de France has showcased some of the most alarming impacts of climate change taking cyclists through farmland, parched by drought, past melting glaciers. They're just out there in the Tour de France, seeing all this stuff. And in proximity to raging wildfires, all in the middle of a historic heat wave that saw temperatures approach 104 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: That is...
0: At times, the temperatures were so high during this year's, year's tour that organizers sprayed water to keep the roads from melting. Officials agreed to ease rules that usually prevent riders from rehydrating in the first miles of the race. Mm -hmm. I didn't know they couldn't do that. Why would you want to do that? Mm -hmm. Maybe it caused problems because they were all bunched together. Maybe so, but but now they can because it's so damn hot. Yeah, it's already possible to get the stage shortened or uh, to cancel. Is what the uh, Samuel Bellinot, the director of performance for French cycling team covitas said that's because they huge. were they were stuck on this schedule in the middle of this heat yeah and they, it was in place to just call things off yeah
1: that's yeah. crazy
0: so far race organizers though have not been inclined to invoke those rules right and they said it's the most important race in the world
1: for cycling but,
0: yeah. yeah yeah but it might not last as it is very much longer.
1: That does bring me something that I've been thinking a little bit about. I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it, but there's a lot of sports that are dependent upon being outside to play. Yeah. You can't play golf indoors. That some of these this is some serious money involved in, in, in some of these sports. Soccer is generally played outside. Um they were they had the World Cup or did or they're going to have it in yeah. Qatar, right? And it's like it gets to hundred and twenty degrees there. Yeah. And probably getting hotter all the time. So we're approaching a point in the progression of climate where the things that we, quote-unquote, escape to in terms of sports are going to be dramatically impacted. Baseball, uh-huh. football for the most part, outdoors. And and what happens when it's 115 degrees and the field is, you know, is 120 degrees? And these uh-huh. guys can't do it. They can't play. So it is coming.
0: I don't know how uh-huh. it will manifest itself. but. huh how about a pitch clock? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, the, the old what pitch
0: is, clock thing in baseball. Yeah, yeah, what is it, 30 seconds? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, I'm, I was being... I know you are, but I, you know, know, I didn't even know. I, I, I know it's coming, but... There. I know, but
1: the pitch clock... Forget about climate. Speed up the, it's the pitch clock. The that's, pitch clock that's really gonna, it all. It's going to
0: ruin everything. From Vice. Mm-hmm. The world's first named heat wave hit Seville, Spain last oh week, pushing temperatures past 100 degrees Fahrenheit. This isn't really an oh, my God thing, though.
1: Well, I mean, they're naming the heat waves? <laughs> yeah, they're naming it. Well, that's what I mean. The that's
0: name funny. is Zoe, or Zoe. Okay. But I looked up the Spanish pronunciation, and they said Zoe. Zoe. You know, okay. Zoe. Okay. I was thinking it was a very unenthusiastic way <laughs> to say it, but.
1: Well, I'm sure they're Zoe. not happy about it. It's well, a, you know, uh, this
0: was just a general Zoe. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. I thought it was Zoe. Zo right Zoe. Okay. Zoe is the first named heat wave to hit Seville since it officially launched the new pilot program last month for naming and ranking heat waves, similar to hurricanes. Well, it is a weather event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only the most severe heat waves get names, though. Okay. Designated this year in reverse alphabetical order, mm-hmm. after Zoe comes Yago, okay. Zenia, Wenceslau, and Vega. Yeah. Okay. I had a Vega. <laughs> yeah. Had... Well, I did. My dad had a Vega. Yeah. Yeah. And and I had to borrow borrow it one time because I was driving a little Porsche. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's you know, it was one of the 914s. It was yeah. one of those Volkswagen Porsches. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I'll bet. So we swapped cars. Yeah. And I got a call from my dad really one morning. Uh-oh. And he says, I totaled your car. Oh.
1: Yeah. Your Porsche.
0: Yeah. And you know... I got to hand it to myself. I said to him, wait a second, Dad. I'm supposed to be calling you saying that. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're starting alphabetically. Backward. Yeah. And I wonder how they feel when they get to Andrea, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like 24 heat waves from now. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. How's that going to feel? Yeah.
1: <sighs> well, they start every season. Every heat wave season, I'm sure yeah. they start going back. If you're getting 25 in six months. Yeah,
0: what if you did that? Wow. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What if, well, what if how do you know what's going to happen?
1: Well, increasingly, they've, I mean, forever, they've been naming hurricanes after, with name, giving, giving them names. They've run out of names in a season.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: A couple of times that I know of recently where they've just run out of the A through Z and they had to start over. Yeah. They had to how do they do
0: it? I don't know.
1: Yeah. They must put their supercomputers to work to come up with more names. Yeah, yeah that's the only thing I can think
0: of. Hey. From The Guardian, a group of Gen Z activists is targeting the tires of gas-guzzling SUVs. SUVs, by the way, are the second largest cause of global rise in carbon dioxide emissions over the past decade. God. I didn't know they were that high. I didn't either. Yeah. The tire extinguishers, that's what these people call themselves. I think you don't need to be Gen Z to do it. This is just a little hook they put in there. Mm-hmm. Go, oh, Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Yeah. The tire extinguishers, as they call themselves, distribute bags of lentils ahead of each raid. The lentils are jammed into the tire valve to release its air slowly overnight. <laughs> you just unscrew the tire valve cap. Yeah. Stuff the lentil inside. And screw put back. the cap back on. Yeah, absolutely. A leaflet is slapped on to the windshield and the tire extinguishers uh melt back into the night nice yeah the tire extinguisher movement started in the uk spread to a clutch of other countries and has now landed in the u.s since june dozens of suv and pickup truck owners in san francisco new york and chicago have discovered their vehicles with flat tires along with a note on the windshield declaring your gas guzzler kills the leaflet is available at tireextinguishers.com leaflet. And by the way, tire is T-Y-R-E, if you're curious about this. T-Y-R-E extinguishers.com and then slash leaflet. You can get this leaflet. So if you're going out there doing this, you're not flat-footed. You know, you got a little something to yeah. tell them why their tires are flat. It states, the pamphlet does, the vast amounts of planet heating emissions generated by the vehicles are nails in the coffin of our climate. And it also adds, you'll be angry, but don't take it personally. It's not you. It's your car.
1: Yeah. 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 By the way, my dad's street, there's probably about 25 homes on both sides of the the street he lives on, Mm -hmm. at least, and I'm not exaggerating, at At least. least 20 of them. Have SUVs. Big, oh, yeah,
0: big, yeah, yeah. Big, big SUVs. I mean, if this caught on, these tire extinguishers caught on in Irvine, yeah. nobody would be able to move. <laughs> Traffic would be great in Irvine. Yeah. You could drive, drive
1: around like it was uh, the day after yeah. the apocalypse, you know, all day long. The auto yeah. club would be busy. Yeah, the We'd auto club going, would be very busy. Filling up yeah, yeah. tires. But, yeah, at least 20 of the houses on that
0: street. I know. It's crazy, though. I, I, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. You go to, like, a community clubhouse in Irvine. Yeah. And it's just... SUVs. You know, and I thought we were over that trend. I thought I thought that it it sort of
1: faded. It seemed to have faded for a few years where people weren't buying the suburbans and the escalades and it just felt like, well, we're done with that, right? Yeah. No. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And the new the electric ones are horribly dangerous because they weigh so much, because the batteries have to be so huge to power these things. (sighs) It's just not smart. No. Yeah.
1: When you see a hundred and twenty four Pound woman driving around
0: in an SUV yeah. by herself. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, and they have two kids, and they go, "Oh, I need an SUV." Need, oh, yeah, you don't need an SUV <laughs> for a couple of kids. Jeez, my
1: great grandmother came across the plains in a covered wagon. You do not need an SUV. A covered
0: wagon is bigger than an SUV.
1: Well, it doesn't. It's not a gas guzzling. Yeah, true. Maybe that's the clue yeah, right there. Right? It's not destroying the environment. turn in
0: your SUV on covered wagons. Covered wagons. Yeah. Why
1: not? Put some electric batteries in a covered wagon. Go for it. Yeah. There yeah. you go.
0: Well, then it'd be too heavy. <laughs> Maybe so. It's very complex. It is a very so complex uh, issue. I have to think more about this. Yeah. That's all there is to it. From Scientific American. In the U.S., people eat more protein than they need to. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. And though it might not be bad for human health, our urination... On account of that, poses a problem for our country's waterways. Researchers found that our nation's pea, urine, waste, whatever, uh, is laden with leftovers from protein digestion, nitrogen com- compounds that can feed toxic algal blooms and pollute the air and drinking water. Jesus. Well, it's just another reason not to eat so much goddamn beef. Yes, yes. And from Mahakai Magazine. These are a little a couple of news shorts we like to call them. So we um, we call them in the business and news yeah, shorts. New short. mm, yeah, from Hakai Magazine, researchers found that various human pathogens cling to microplastics in seawater. Mm. They cling, uh, diseases are floating across the ocean mm-hmm. on the plastics that we put there. And it's not just bacteria that are hitching a ride on plastics. Biofilms on marine plastics can also harbor parasites, viruses, and toxic algae. Yeah. With marine plastic pollution so ubiquitous, it's been found everywhere from the bottom of the Mariana Trench to Arctic beaches. Scientists are concerned that plastics are transporting these human pathogens around the world via our oceans.
1: Yeah.
0: That's no good. No. Uh, let's, let's do a little, she- little playtime here, I okay? guess. Cheer me up. Yeah. There, there we, we go. go. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mother. You want to play?
1: Go ahead. Let's go. Let's go. 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 Get, 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 get. Go, go, Muller.
0: Catch this plastic ball. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at kci.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash kci 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at kuciradio.cumber.com. That's tumblr.com. And on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM. And now it's time for our morning deep breath. From our good friend Michael Hilton. Ah, yes. At Los Angeles Times. Uh One year ago, the University of California Board of Regents voted to approve an uncompromising policy governing the terms of partnership between UC's medical schools and Catholic hospital systems. The policy led UC doctors to believe that they would be permitted to provide any care they judge warranted for their patients, including performing abortions and contraceptive implants that are otherwise forbidden at Catholic health care facilities. But somehow the language changed when the regent's vote was translated into a formal UC policy. Mm-hmm. The policy now fails to guarantee that UC doctors... That would mean doctors right here at the University of California at Irvine can't perform any procedure. It fails to guarantee this, that they deem necessary, only that they can prescribe and counsel patients about their options. Buried in the version written by the office of UC President Michael V. Drake. That sounds familiar. Yeah, no, It sounds familiar. I don't know where I've heard about that guy. We're just kidding here. He was the chancellor at this school for a while. Yes. And now he's sneaking around. He is,
1: yes, he's slithering around the university system. I guess so. Yeah,
0: I kind of like them. I did too. He came in to the station and all that kind of stuff. He What's nice with enough. it, Michael? Come on. Anyway, there's an enormous loophole that leaves UC doctors still subject to church-imposed restrictions in this bill now. Put simply, although the policy guarantees that UC providers can advise, refer, prescribe, or provide emergency items and services without restrictions, it fails to guarantee that UC providers can perform any procedures they deem advisable or necessary. The key question is who is really in charge of medical practice when you see professionals and trainees are on site at Catholic hospitals or any other institutions that impose non-scientific strictures on health care. Yes. The church or the university. That's right. Come on. I know. If a guy is holding a scalpel, he doesn't want, you know, if the priest wants to come in and do the cutting. Yeah. Fine this is we'll just leave how about that
1: this this issue about catholic hospital systems has been around for a while now and they've been buying up the these these catholic hospitals have been buying up a lot of other hospitals and it's become increasingly the norm that they will not allow certain procedures including abortion in their hospital and they are the big player in this in this field now and it's the ambiguity of it that makes me very concerned because it was written unambiguously initially and now yeah. there's ambiguity in the interpretation yeah. which means to me that if that they have now the option to go after a doctor for performing an abortion yeah. huh. and I don't know if that means losing his license I, whatever it is it's having a chilling effect on doctors being able to do what they're trained to do. And that's not
0: good. This is the same institution that believes in talking snakes, right? Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. It is. The, the Catholic same Church. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. And virgin birth. And virgin birth. It's always
0: good to have somebody advising you on you know, what you're going to do with a pregnancy. It's always a good idea to talk to somebody who believes in virgin birth. Exactly. Yeah, Because they know a lot.
1: That that really is a great way to put it. And I will tell you that the Catholic Church, having been a part of the Catholic Church for a good part of my life, Uh is the most sexually obsessed major religion. I mean, it's a hard thing to say. It's sexually obsessed because of its denial of sexuality and all of the implications that come with that.
0: What makes you say that?
1: Well, I lived through a lot of the doctrine and came out on the other what, side of it. Were your teachers
0: sexually obsessed?
1: Uh, the the church itself, this the doctrinaire of the Catholic Church is obsessed with with women getting pregnant, with all aspects of sexuality. Frankly, the fact really? that they yeah. Oh, yeah, I think because by virtue of the fact of their denial of sexuality, mm-hmm. I think it creates this kind of. Dynamic of obsession with it. But they do believe in the virgin birth, but so do Zoroastrianism. So do a lot That's of no religions. There's no excuse. I wouldn't th- want a
0: Zoro, Zoro, Zoroastrianist in my. Uh, no, uh, but I'm just saying. Next the, to me the in the my religion the saying... religion
1: evolved in a period of time when a lot of the doctrines of the Catholic Church were already being practiced around in, in that region of the world. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting little sidelight
0: so sitting here at the University of California yes makes me kind of uh, sad yes that they yeah you know bow down to the Catholic Church I always thought we were coming here for knowledge right not for uh, doctrine
1: is this also an issue of the separation of church and state? Is this does this bleed over? We're a, we're a public institution, University uh, of California, Irvine, at Irvine, right? Yeah. And now religion is creeping into the viability of professionals to do their job. Yeah.
0: From Science Magazine, Alzheimer's drug trials are notoriously ineffective. Now we may know the least part of the reason why. A neuroscientist at Vanderbilt University has tipped off the scientific community that critical findings that have formed the foundation of Alzheimer's research for nearly two decades may have been fabricated. If this claim bears out, it will mean that for the last two decades a huge huge proportion of potential Alzheimer's drugs has been developed under a false premise, and millions or even billions of dollars in funding, not to mention years of science and thinking, may have been sent after the wrong target. The theory is centered on amyloids, or proteins, found in plaque that builds up in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. Mm -hmm. These were thought to damage the brain and, in turn, cause the memory loss and cognitive impairment associated with Alzheimer's. Mm. Now, it looks like these results may have been fabricated. The images paper used to support this conclusion appear to have been doctored to exaggerate the protein's part in the development of Alzheimer's. Wow, The immediate obvious damage is wasted NIH funding and wasted thinking in the field because people are using these results as a starting point for their own experiments, Stanford University neuroscientist Thomas Suthoff, a Nobel laureate and expert on Alzheimer's, said. Amyloid proteins may well play some role in Alzheimer's, but judging by the new findings, it appears that that role may be far less significant than has been believed. That means that for 16 years, most new Alzheimer's drugs in development and at least half of Alzheimer's funding have been based on findings that may now be seriously debunked.
1: That's a really tragic story. Yeah,
0: yeah. And again, it's they're saying that amyloids are part of it, yeah. but they may just be uh, an after. Effect of the Alzheimer's, not the cause of it. Right. Huh.
1: Do they offer any suggestions in the article? What of What the, could cause
0: Alzheimer's? Yeah. Oh no, uh huh. Yeah.
1: We're just yeah. Just a. a recent, it sounds like
0: the amyloids are not responsible. Yeah,
1: a recent theory that I heard was uh, it was it might be in part because of a particular kind of virus. Yeah. But well, again, who knows? But again well, I'm who glad knows? someone's yeah. looking somewhere else. Yeah. That's a good yeah. Yeah. good thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's change the mood here. What okay. Do you think? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Mother, let's snap us out of it. Mm-hmm. Do you ever talk to babies? <laughs> you mean baby talk to babies? I don't... Well, I miss. I don't yeah. know how you talk to babies.
1: I'm asking. No, you... I don't generally talk baby talk. I, I'll talk yeah. to. I'll say something to a little toddler just to say. Yeah, how you doing? How hey, you doing? Sport? Yeah, yeah. That's what you say. Yeah, yeah something you like don't that. Yeah, yeah. Don't baby <laughs> to... No. Oh, no. no i don't not a baby look talker. at the baby <laughs> hello no, you don't do that no i do that to a a dog or a cat maybe but really yeah mauler i'm like hey buddy how you yeah, doing yeah. yeah come on <laughs> he what doesn't, are you doing? he doesn't like it <laughs> I know. Yeah. okay all right
0: he doesn't like baby talk <laughs> okay from the journal natural human behavior in an in an ambitious cross-cultural study Researchers found that adults around the world speak to babies in similar ways. Mm. Yeah, that's the key part here. We, all around the world, talk to babies kind of in the same, uh, well, way, language, The kind of delivery. High, high-pitched... Yeah, as part Hmm. of the study, 50,000 people from 187 countries and representing 199 languages were asked to determine whether a song or a passage of speech was being addressed to a baby or an adult. The researchers determined that this sing-songy baby talk, more technically known as parentese. Parentese. Yeah, if you're talking to a baby like that. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) That's parentese. (laughs) seems to be nearly universal to humans around the world. The new study's acoustic analysis also found these worldwide characteristics of baby and adult communication brought on new questions and realizations. For instance, people tend to try out many different vowel sounds and combinations when talking to babies. Mm -hmm. Babies, This is very similar to the way adults sing to each other around the world. So uh, baby talk also closely matches the melody of song, the songification of speech, if you like, a mm, researcher said. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, there might be a connection Yeah. between music yeah. and the way we talk to children. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears another time. Oh, here. boy. Yeah. Look at. Well, out. it's good. Um, I'm I'm getting, not gonna, it's going to be good. I'm getting whiplash here. We want Juan Soto. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. He's national. I know. He's with the nationals right now. Yeah. Probably the best player in baseball right now. He's got a huge following. Yeah. He does a little shimmy when he comes up to the plate. Okay. That's become kind of his thing. Yeah. It's a kind of a little twerk. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what do you think? No. Is he coming to the Dodgers? I hope not. You hope the not? The Dodgers are loaded. Yeah, the Dodgers are
1: absolutely loaded. So what are they going to do? Unload a couple of frontline players well, and a draft pick or two, and then they're going to pay him fifty million dollars a year. I just think how about it's,
0: San Diego though? I don't care. You don't care, no. but then, then San Diego, you know, know, you know, it's, there are certain
1: franchises: the Angels, the Padres. Nah, he's not going there. New I'm, York. Just, I'm just New saying, York? no, these are Yankees? these are doomed franchises. They they're they're never going to be very good. Yankees. And, okay, yeah, the Yankees, but the, the Yankees Yan- want to pay somebody else forty or fifty million dollars a year. Knock yourself out. But I just think there. No, I, I just think there's some point. My, I have a theory about superstars. Sometimes a superstar will completely. Throw your your competitive balance off. You spend yeah. too much time. You spend too much money on one guy. Let's say he breaks an, an ankle
0: mid-season. Yeah. Well, I don't want to lecture on that. I know, but I just no, 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 no. Juan yeah. Soto, enough already. Well, How do you feel? We if have you're an a All-Star Nationals team. Line? What if you're a Nationals fan? Good, right now. Great. Would you feel bad?
1: Uh, you you got to hold on to the best player in baseball. Is that what you're saying?
0: Or well, you know, like five years ago they had Trey Turner. Yeah. The Nationals did, and now Trey, Trey's with the Dodgers, and Trey's a, a great right. player. Right. And now they're talking about getting rid of soda. There's this one poor fan. His name is uh, Bruce Honorin, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a big Nationals fan, and he, he's one of these guys too. He had, had a tough life, you know. He was he's uh, was diagnosed uh, with leukemia, Oof. and then he got into an auto accident, and so he's spending a lot of his time at ball games because that's what he can do, and it makes him feel good. And he wanted he was. Trying to get a uh, uh, collect baseball cards like you do, yeah. How's your baseball card collection? Coming, uh, it's
1: huh? been pillaged over the years. Pillaged I, by who? I don't know. I have you I don't had know to, who's uh,
0: breaking into your house. No, this and is years rummaging. ago, probably
1: 20 years ago. I lost a bunch of Mickey Mantles, a bunch of Sandy wow. Koufaxes, a bunch of Laura. All my Laura Scudder baseball card training cards are gone. Scudder. Do you remember that? Well, Laura Scudder. I know. Don't, which
0: team was Laura Scudder on?
1: Potato Chip Company in yeah. LA was giving away baseball cards with I don't every I remember patch. this. Uh-uh. I had, the, I think I had the entire dot. It was all Dodgers. Ah. This was from like, I hate to say this out loud, 1965, 66. So they, they uh, They're all somebody gone. came in and took them? Yeah. Who? I don't know. Your sisters? No, I think it was a cousin.
0: A cousin?
1: Yeah. He's, there was a couple of cousins who stayed at the house for a couple of months. Man. They're
0: all gone. I mean, the Laura Scudder cards are
1: alone are worth some real money.
0: Anyway, uh, back when uh, Soto was just breaking into baseball, yeah. uh, they were uh, printing up rookie cards. Yeah. Of uh, various rookies, and Juan Soto's card was there were only ten printed. And this guy, you know, this oh, poor, the, this, this Bruce Onorant guy, mm-hmm. guy yeah, yeah. he goes out, he buys the the. Uh, Tries to find it. He doesn't have that much money. All right. And lo and behold, he breaks open a pack, and there's a Juan Soto rookie card. Wow. Well, now, all these years later, he, he's, he wants to, still wants to see baseball games, but he can't afford it. Oh, so he wants. so he wants to sell his Juan Soto card. Yeah, how much? This, this is a nice story, by the way. It's in the Washington Post. If you like baseball, just a yeah, long yeah. human interest story. Nothing, yeah, exactly. You're, how much is what comes up in your mind? <laughs> well, it does. Yeah. How I much? Because well, he wants to sell it, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody just off the street just offered him 10000 for it. But he thought, no, he goes to a professional. Bruce does. Yeah. A professional uh, auction house. Yeah. And he's watching the price go up. It just went up to fifteen thousand. Okay. The auction house took like three or four thousand dollars of it because that's what you do—not the auction house, but the the uh, seller
1: yeah.
0: that he had hired. And that's it. That's the whole story, really. Oh, it's just that cool. right now, though, yeah. you know, here's a guy, yeah. a fan, yeah. just to see baseball games of a of a team that he's feeling really sad about now too. Yeah. Yeah. The big story, of course, in baseball and in, in a lot of places is where's the guy going? where is the star going yeah. when in fact the sad part of it is there's a whole city yeah i get it yeah and the
1: rich get richer there's certain franchises that have more money than god and and they do this and they yeah. they pillage to use that word again all of the franchises that aren't doing well like the Marlins and yeah and uh, the the Orioles and the Kansas cities of the world they they just take their better players yeah
0: and that's the way the world works. From Lucid News. Lucid. Lucid. A rabbi, a vicar, and two priests walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I like it. No, no, no. <laughs> a rabbi, a vicar, and two priests were among two dozen <laughs> psychedelically naive religious professionals, and they participated in a yet-to-be-published study by researchers at John Hopkins and NYU. After careful screening and preparation, each was separately given, Two, dozen, two doses of synthesized psilocybin in a comfortable supervised setting. That's a lot of S's going on in there. <laughs> synthesized psilocybin in a comfortable supervised setting. The idea was to measure whatever mystical experiences they might have and follow up to see how that divine encounter helped or hindered them in the ministry. Okay. I am dying to hear this. Or rabbinistry. (laughs) (laughs) It's surprising how many clergy have never had a mystical experience, said Roger Joslin, who shepherds two Episcopal churches in Long Island, New York. Institutional religion has a lot to learn from psychedelics, and the psychedelic community has a lot to learn from organized religion, said Hunt Priest. It's an odd name for a priest. What's his name? Hunt Priest. Okay. Yeah, Priest Priest. Yeah. And he escaped. Uh, Episcopal priest in Savannah, Georgia. Psychedelics cracked me open and showed me that my views of the world were small and limited compared to what I just experienced, said uh, Lutheran pastor James Lindbergh, rabbi, James Lindbergh. That's what he said. Yeah. He, He. he was opened up by psychedelics. The, rab- the rabbi. No, no, no. This oh, is Lutheran pastor oh, James Lindberg. Sorry. Yeah. sorry, my bad. Uh, rabbi Zach Cameron, however, was not so enthralled. Okay. The rabbi was, you know. <laughs> uh, the first trip was powerful and positive, he said, and inspiring a little more pip in my step, <laughs> the rabbi said. <laughs> On the eve of his second trip, three months later, Cameron, Cameron, Ka- Uh, Rabbi Kamenetz, expected more beauty and gratitude. Okay. Wanted to get that. Instead, he just felt like he'd been dropped into a deep, dark hole. There was no fear. He said, just boredom. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the end of my Rabbi Vicar and priest (laughs) joke. Yeah. That's a very good, that's a very good story. Uh I
1: did you know, that's an interesting concept that that, uh, people who are supposed to uh, provide us with uh, a divine perspective. Yeah, have never experienced a divine experience.
0: Yeah, have never really uh, yeah. been lost in God. Yes, or whatever or you want to call it, that you spirit call it of, it of uh, oneness in the world. Yes. Do you ever run into a wolf
1: spider? I wouldn't know if I have or haven't. You know, what, they, if you know what a wolf spider is, I
0: assume it's something pretty gnarly looking. And yeah, no, no I'm not. They're a They're robust and agile hunters okay, Uh, with excellent eyesight. They're about a half inch to two inches wide. So they can be, you know, a good size. Ooh, Yeah. And they live mostly in solitude, hunt alone, and do not spin webs. And I've I've had them around here. Really? Yeah, yeah. I encountered one at one point in time. I bet it's a frightening
1: experience. Yeah.
0: Speaking of a divine experience. Yeah. Yeah. It had its front legs up in the air at me. I couldn't believe it. Wasn't it? Tra- it looked like a tarantula to me. I didn't know what was going on. From the robot report,
1: we're okay. we're coming up on spider season. Yeah, September it gets. There's a lot of moisture in the air. Uh-huh. And they start building webs. I like spiders. I in do, generally, too. I don't I, want I, them
0: crawling on my face and well, stinging that's me a, or something. In but. the
1: backyard of the patio, they string mm-hmm. their web across the two pillars. And then you
0: run into I it. I just
1: walk. I've walked right up eyeball to eyeball with them before <laughs> i noticed that there was a web yep. there. I mean,
0: literally. Or you walk right through their web. Yeah. I've and then your, your arms are yeah. flaying I'm everywhere. Just You're just thinking. slapping if, my face. Yeah, because I, you know, it's whatever. crawling up your nose. Yeah. so
1: But I've come eyeball to eyeball with them a couple of times. Yeah.
0: Uh, from the Robot Report, yes. engineers at Rice University are turning dead wolf spiders into mechanical grippers that can reliably lift more than 130% of their own body weight. The researchers said this is the first step toward an area of research they call necrobiotics. Nice. Unlike people and other mammals that move their limbs by synchronizing opposing muscles, spiders use hydraulics, a chamber near their heads. Contracts to send blood to limbs, forcing them to extend. Wow. Yeah, it's just, you know, get, you got that thing there. Yeah. When the pressure is relieved, the legs contract. That's why they ball up when they die. The pressure goes away. Internal oh. val- valves in the spider's hydraulic chamber, or prosoma, allow them to control each leg individually. Wow. To control the legs of a dead spider, the researchers tap into the prosoma chamber with a needle. The other end of the needle is connected to a handheld syringe, which delivers a minute minute amount of air to activate the legs almost instantly, and they can control them and lift things up using... That's amazing. Zombie spiders. Wow. Zombie spiders, mauler. Yeah. Wow. That is a zombie spider howl. That is. <gasps> From the Guardian. Last week, a chess-playing robot, apparently unsettled by quick responses of a seven-year-old boy, unceremoniously grabbed and broke his finger (laughs) during a match at the Moscow Open. Sergei Smagin, vice president of the Russian Chess Federation, said the robot appeared to pounce after it took one of the boy's pieces. Rather than waiting for the machine to complete the move, the boy opted for a quick counter, he said. There are certain safety rules, and the child apparently violated them. (laughs) This is what he gets, the child gets, after a robot (laughs) pinches his finger. When the kid made his move, he did not realize he had to wait first, Smagin said. Yeah, yeah, boy. From Dizin, the Saudi Arabian government unveiled artist-concept drawings of a 500-meter-tall, car-free, linear city named The Line which will be built near the Red Sea as part of Neom, a smart city to be built north of the Red Sea. Okay. This is in Saudi Arabia. Set to stretch 105 miles across Saudi Arabia. Got the proportions here. Yeah. This will be one building, 105 miles long. Mm-hmm. The line, which will have a mirrored facade. Well, that's original, huh? <laughs> will be 500 meters tall, but only 200 meters wide. Okay. 200 meters wide, 500 uh, meters, uh, well, let's see, 105 miles long. Right. It's just like a big line. Yeah. The line was designed as an alternative to tri- traditional cities that typically radiate out from a central point. A transport system running the length of the megastructure would be designed to connect both ends of the city within 20 minutes. I think that's crap, but, you know, who knows yeah. and how that would work and how it would feel to people. Well, we'll see. The structure will be entirely powered by renewable energy and house 9 million people. But this is just one building. 9 105 million. 105 miles long. 9 million? 9 million, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a wall is what it is. Yeah. I mean, exterior-wise, it's, you know, I guess you feel like you're in a very long building with 200 meters between either side of it.
1: I want to believe that there is some level of innovation that we will all benefit from by doing something like this. And the Saudis, and they have more money than they know what to do with it. And I get what they need to do is basically live in an environment where climate change is really going to have an impact. If It's having an impact here in the United States. Climate change in that part of the world is going to be devastating. I get that they want to do things, but
0: it feels very dystopian to me. From the Washington Post. One of the newest vehicles in the Czech National Police force's fleet can reach top speeds of more than 200 miles an hour and is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. This isn't the Czech National Police, mm-hmm. but it cost them less than the price of a domestic station wagon. <laughs> Czech police re- repurposed, repossessed—no, they repurposed a seized 2011 Ferrari F142 458 Italia. As a patrol car, (laughs) the car was one of many that the police seize from criminals each year, most of which are sold, with the proceeds covering any damage inflicted by the criminal. The Ferrari, however, is now used for chasing stolen vehicles passing through the Czech Republic, patrolling highways, and cracking down on illegal street racing, which usually involves high-performance vehicles that regular Czech police cannot cope with. Yeah. Uh, the cost to police for retrofitting the vehicle with police markings and equipment, including a camera, radio and speedometer, are about uh, was about three hundred and forty Czech Corona <laughs> Corona or about fourteen thousand dollars. OK, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Which is less than the cost of a domestic Skoda Scala station wagon. <laughs> so they made out on this. Yeah,
1: you? they did.
0: And yeah. it just feels there, there's a it feels a very RoboCop to me. Yeah. And finally, from the Washington Post, a 42-year-old chef and a massive emu teamed up to help catch a driver who fled a crash scene. A emu is like an ostrich kind of thing, you know? Dean Wade said he heard a loud screeching noise near his workplace in Wiltshire, England, and raced out to see a Jeep smashing into the front of an empty shop. Wade said he could see the driver, who appeared drunk, exit the Jeep and stagger all over the place, wearing his slip-resistant rubber kitchen clogs and chef overalls. Wade chased the driver for 15 minutes uh, before the pair ended up at an animal sanctuary. <laughs> this was when the real confrontation began. I could see this massive emu, Wade said. I'm six foot tall and it was bigger than me. Wade said he could tell the bird, a female emu surrounded by its babies, was likely to kick anyone's ass who got near him. Mate, don't. Go in there, Wade warned the man, who, he said, ignored his advice, replying, I can fight emus. That's what the guy said to Wade here, before heading into the animal's pen, where he was repeatedly pecked. (laughs) The emu kept stabbing at the driver, who eventually gave up. He was pecking him everywhere on his body, Wade said. (laughs)